This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So you know unicorn companies, obviously. The giant companies at billion-dollar valuation. Sure. So we're building a different kind of company that we call a zebra. Today, the zebra startup. What happens when you blur the line between nonprofit and venture capital? Jennifer Brandel of Harkin wants to save the long-suffering news industry by helping newsrooms tell the stories that people actually want to hear. And while that might be an honorable mission, here's what the investors are trying to figure out. Is her zebra business a venture-backable one? From Gimlet, this is The Pitch. I'm Josh Muccio. Today's investors are... Jillian Manis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital, where they've invested $98 million so far in high-profile startups like Uber. Charles Hudson. Charles started Precursor Ventures, where he's invested $20 million in over 100 startups to date. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over $500 million. And now, he invests for himself. Phil Nadell. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. Sarah Downey. Sarah used to run her own company. Now she's a partner at Accomplice and an angel investor making bets on early stage startups. All right, on with the pitch. Oh Hello. my hey, God, Jen. Michael! Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, Charles. Nice to meet you, Charles, Jen. Nice hey, to meet you. Sarah. How are you? Sarah, nice Hi, Jen you. and Phil. Hey, Phil. Hi. Hi, Jillian. Jillian. Nice to meet you. Nice all. to meet you. Well, my name is Jennifer Brandell. I'm the CEO and founder of Harkin, and the seeds for my company were actually planted a long time ago when I was a little kid. So I was like 10, 11 years old, sitting in the back of my parents' family station wagon. Summer going to a softball game, my dad was driving, and the song Love Hurts by Nazareth came on the radio. Do you guys remember that one? Oh, yeah. Love yeah. Hurts. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> wedding singer on that scene. Yeah. Love Hurts came on the radio. And my dad, I remember, he cranked up the volume and we're singing along, you know, summer breeze flowing through the car. And as we were driving, going past the suburban strip malls and everything, I saw Hurts Rental Car Company. And I thought, Love Hurts. Love Hurts. Like they should use that as their theme song. <laughs> that would be amazing. They could they could see rent you know cars just breaking down and people waiting in long lines. And then here comes Hertz to the rescue, right? Mm-hmm. They become really sticky and a fun way to remember the brand. But there were two problems. One was that I was 11 years old and I knew nobody in advertising. <laughs> and then two is something that I learned as an adult, which is that even if there is a way to tell someone something, if there's no process by which they can listen to you and actually take that feedback and respond, then it might as well go into a black hole. Today, Jen isn't coming up with catchy ways to promote car rental companies. Instead, she's trying to help journalism rebuild the audience that newsrooms have been hemorrhaging since, well, the internet came around. What she's built with Harkin is a suite of tools that allows news organizations to gather story ideas from their audience, put them up for a public vote, and cover the stories that people actually want. 
And we found that these stories that are coming from the public, that are coming from ideas outside of the newsroom, perform 11 to 15 times better than traditional stories. They generate email addresses, which convert to paying members or subscribers at 2 to 5x. And they end up producing just original content that you would never find anywhere else. So my company, Harkin, is about three years old now. We're in about 150 newsrooms, and we're just about approaching a million ARR and are here to raise $3.5 million for our next stage of growth. Can you walk us through the product a little bit more? Yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah, understand definitely. it yet. All right, so here, here we go to my laptop. I'll show you how this works. So this is our technology. It works on mobile as well. It's super simple. Um, so the public can ask questions here. Mm -hmm. They can vote on each other's ideas. They can see the resulting stories below. Now, when a newsroom is using Harkin, they can embed questions in the story. Things like, what's the next thing we should cover here? And readers can suggest questions or upvote other people's ideas. So the newsrooms use this as a way to gauge reader interest in certain types of stories, and then they'll write the stories that are, seem to be resonating or popular. Exactly. And it's all based on curiosity. It attracts people who are humble enough to say, I don't know something. Hey, journalist, your job is to find out new information that doesn't exist. This is a question that I have, whether it's about my community or a special topic or whatever that may be. And then the newsroom can curate the best questions, put them up for a vote, and let the audience ultimately help drive coverage. And what we find is that, A, the coverage is much more original and interesting than typical stuff. They're not chasing their competitors or following whatever's trending on Twitter. So they're producing great information, but also it creates trust with the people that they're serving. Can you give an example of a story that never would have happened without oh, this? That's a great question. Um, so in Nashville, there's a station that we work with, a, a public radio station called WPLN. And this woman, Denise, was just walking around her neighborhood, and she came across a park that was called Fred Douglas Park. And she just wondered, who's Fred Douglas? You know, I know who Frederick Douglass is, the famed abolitionist, sure. but I don't know a Fred <laughs> Douglass. <laughs> and so she went and she asked the newsroom and said, who's Fred Douglass? And, you know, the newsroom decided this is interesting. Let's put it up for a vote. They ended up putting it up for a vote. The public said, yeah, who is this Fred Douglass? Well, it turns out after the newsroom started looking into this, that Fred Douglass was actually supposed to be named Frederick Douglass Park 80 years earlier. Whoa. But it was a racist slight that happened in city council. No. And Whoa. they rededicated the park to Frederick Douglass, put in a correct sign, had a Frederick Douglass impersonator there, and dedicated it to the African-American community because this woman just wanted to know who is this guy. And mm. you can imagine if Denise cool. would have walked in to city council and said, who's Fred Douglass? She would have said, scram, we got better things to do. <laughs> but because so a news cool. organization was involved, that citizen actually mm. had power that they never would have had otherwise without that combination. That was an awesome example. <laughs> right on. Mm-hmm. The investors are sold on the power of Harkin to help create change in a community. Now they're like, tell me about the business. Can you tell us about the unit economics? Yeah, the unit economics. So we charge about $9,000 per license for a newsroom to use our technology and our methodology for the course of a year. But we have partners all the way up to the BBC who are paying far more than that. What's your churn rate uh, with your client base on the 150 per year? So right now it's about 70% uh, re-retain. And what we've learned from the 30% that have been churning is actually the reason they stop uh, working with us is because someone moves on from their job. There's a lot of turnover in the news industry that's right now. That's a very high yes. churn rate it for is a, a SaaS company. Churn rate. It is. Yeah. That's well, here's the thing. We're not a SaaS company yet. 
When I first started, I thought we were a SaaS company. I thought, oh, we'll just build a tool. We'll teach newsrooms how to use it. And then poof, you know, they're going to change their relationship with the public. What we've learned is that we need to do a ton of market education. And then the technology becomes super, super useful. But we're helping newsrooms transition from looking at the public as a consumer to looking at them as a partner. So you say you're not a SaaS company. You're a recurring revenue company, but you're not a SaaS as in you don't have a cloud product that has a one-to-many relationship. Or what do you mean by that? We do. So in terms of right now, we're not like a turnkey self-service SaaS. We will be in a few years where we won't have to spend so much time educating the folks that we're bringing on board. When Jen says turnkey self-service yada yada, she's talking about the idea that a customer can go to the Harkin website, sign up, and then start using the product without any handholding or instruction from a human. Jen's saying that's not the way it works right now. Right now, there's actually quite a bit of handholding. Let's say you bring on a new newsroom in the United States or Canada today. Mm -hmm. How long does it take you to get them up and going? Yeah, the average is six months from the first conversation to signing and having it in the bank. And this is like, I've talked to many people who work in the news industry. This is about as fast as it gets, unfortunately. Their their budget cycles are pretty locked year to year. But okay, let's work with your line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. But you still have a churn rate in your client base of 30% a year. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's why one of the reasons why we're raising money right now is to add two sides to the current door that our partners are walking through. So the first is to do more education up front so that the newsroom has more training. The second part is we're working on connecting the dots between all of their data systems so they can see exactly how people's questions translate into dollars for their business. What we found is that people who ask questions via Harkin, we collect their email addresses. 56% of the people who are giving their email address subscribe to a newsletter. That's huge lead generation for the sales side, sure. even if you're a nonprofit or a for-profit. And 30% of your customers are like, it doesn't matter to us? In part because we haven't gotten deep enough into their organization yet for them to start seeing the business value. It takes about two years for them well, to wait, go from... So if you're yeah. going through a six-month sales cycle, yeah. during that process, why aren't you educating them to the extent that you know, you'd be reducing churn when that one person leaves? I mean, we do emails, campaigns through through the process of selling. A lot of times it's for them, it's we're, we're hiring a new person, so we need to wait for them to get on board. A lot of times people say yes after the second meeting we have with them. It just takes six months to go through getting that person on board, that stakeholder, getting the billing department on board, and having the signed contract. So it's not necessarily that they're saying no for that amount of time. It's between first conversation, contract signed. But if you need all those people to sign off and buy in on it, then when one person leaves, why does the thing collapse? The thing ends up collapsing because if it's not in the right person's hand in editorial that they pass it off within editorial, then we have to retrain someone to be the torchbearer for it. It sounds like Harkin is having a tough time getting into newsrooms and staying there. And that clearly makes the investors nervous. After the break, Jen tells Michael she's just not that into him. I'm struggling with this kind of, how does it become a big business? Yeah, definitely. And we are not looking for uh, the kind of investor that you're that, that you are. This episode of the pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all. They're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, 
and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Founder Jennifer Brandel is making the case that Harkin is essential to the newsroom of the future. But investors still have a fundamental question. Do journalists really need this? Here's Sarah. Well, because, you know, ability to pay in newsrooms is dropping and advertising is not working. And and this is, you know, the budgets are tough. This is a tough, you know, group to sell to. And so if they're looking to, to just save money, like, Think about Twitter. If I could filter by location and I can mm-hmm. poll people and can't I for free gauge kind of what's happening in yeah. an area and why couldn't I just do that? Part of what makes us less scalable right now is what makes us more defensible is because it's not just a simple tool. It's about the mindset shift. So we've had a lot of newsrooms say, oh, why don't we just use Google Forms or Poll Daddy or SurveyMonkey or whatnot? They start and then they, they stop because they haven't actually done the methodology in the way that we can teach people to. So your, mm-hmm. so your tool right now is a bundle of basically consulting best practices and software? Yes. Would the business work better if you just disaggregated that bundle and said, hey, there's a there's a business model transformation piece yep. that's basically consulting that you have to do before we sell you the license? Yes. And then there's the license. And what, what would yeah. that bundle look like? And is, yeah. is nine Because 9K feels dramatically underpriced mm-hmm. it is dramatically underpriced bundle. and so yeah. we've yeah. we've been clever in creating a subsidy program for foundations to put money in to help mm. pay for our work for the moment while the news industry starts to see the value to show them whoa, how whoa, whoa. so yeah. the, your million AR how much of that is foundation foundation money uh, about 200,000 hmm Subsidized, yeah. So you have 150 customers some of it subsidized so if kind of natural spend to you is like you're almost like getting half uh, yeah, the subsidies range from 25 to 75%, depending on the newsroom and, and how much that they're able to pay. I'm struggling listening to this because I'm, I've, I have two problems. One is that I think the market is very, very, very tough for news mm, right now. True. And it's been like literally, oh God, tsunami. The whole thing is going yeah. upside down. And yes. I mean, they've been, quote, Ubered nine different ways to Sunday, and they're trying to figure it out. And I get it. And so you have that problem. And number two... You have a big, big churn. And now number three is that a part of your revenues are actually coming from a foundation. Like I kind of, I'm I'm struggling with this kind of how does it become a big business? Yeah, definitely. And we are not looking for uh, the kind of investor that that you are. Pretty sure Jen just told Michael she doesn't want his money. We're looking for investors who are at the stage that we're at right now, supporting a company that's looking at both the value uh, that we're generating in the world in terms of what democracy requires at this moment okay, well, this and is the interesting. business so, itself. So yeah. to talk to me about that. So you're you're looking for someone to give you money and see it as more of a bit of an investment, bit of a be good to the planet? Um, have you heard of, so you know unicorn companies, obviously, uh, the giant companies at billion-dollar valuation. Sure. So we're building a different kind of company that we call a zebra yeah. company. I don't know if you've heard of zebras. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. so I, I started zebras. Um, that is a, it's a company that's both black and white. It's for po- profit and for purpose, and it's about generating shared prosperity and our value systems align. It doesn't mean we can't be a wildly profitable business. The other thing is, I agree with you, media is a very tough business right now. It's kryptonite to add consulting to it. I totally understand this. And this is one of the reasons why we are, you know, know, casting our net wide to try and find the right people to invest in the company at this stage. 
And can you talk a little bit more about you? Mm -hmm. Like, what did you, what did you do before this? Yeah. Um, um, so I'm I'm a curious person uh, by nature. So my entire life I've spent uh, just trying to figure out juicy questions and spending time answering them. So I've done everything from working in a vineyard in Tasmania to psychometric test development in Montreal to ghostwriting for John Hughes to, uh, you know, starting a craft company. This is my third company or third idea that's gone global, that's gone to more than, you know, a dozen countries around the world. Um, this is the first one I'm trying to make into an actual business, though. The other ones are more kind of ideas that have been incepted and then, uh, you know, carried around the world it's awesome you're a really interesting person yeah thanks yeah and i applaud what you're doing i think it's much needed i really also appreciate your approach in pitching knowing that this opportunity is not right for every investor um, and there are fortunately a lot of investors who do focus on the social good of their investments. Um, some you know, make that a priority even above uh, mm -hmm. earning a good rate of return. I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, I'm not the, the right fit for you as yeah. an investor, but um, I, I really hope that you make this work. Thank you. I mean, the only thing better than a yes is a firm no. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. So question, yeah. why didn't you make this, and just curious, yeah. and why didn't you just make this a nonprofit? Yeah. So when we first started, we thought about, should we become a nonprofit? I spoke with a lot of friends who run nonprofits who said, absolutely do not. No, it's, it's, it's not going to solve your it's problems. It's difficult. So there's a few things that I see here. One is that our problem, I think, is that the capital structures are set up to be either or, either you're for maximize shareholder yeah. profit or maximize mission. Yeah. And I think most founders actually are somewhere in between on the spectrum, but they're pushed to one side or another just because the capital market was set up with that dichotomy. Yes, absolutely. And so what we're finding is the founders who want to build companies that have these both and mm -hmm. kind of approach mm -hmm. are not your typical founders who are looking just to maximize and make a giant business. So we are in this interesting spot and I kind of refuse at this moment to compromise and say you don't have to. and say we have to be a nonprofit or for no, no, profit no. but I, trying to do both no. and the other thing is if we were to go to these foundations um, for journalism uh, we would be competing against the people that we're trying to serve for those dollars so I have to say I had a sort of an ulterior motive for asking this question I yeah. actually know that answer and you gave the right answer oh great okay you have yeah. to have it make it a business to make it sustainable yeah I'm not, I listen to this and I, I, I like you. I think you're going, I think your heart is in the right direction. But I just want to say that I don't think there's a mutual exclusivity between your kind of zebra idea. I don't think that's necessarily right at all. There's a lot of great companies out there that have an amazing ethos that are very profitable to do well. Yeah, yeah. For oh, example, yeah. uh, remember years ago, Zappos Shoes, they, they grew to incredible cultures. Tom's and people, yeah. Tom's, Tom's, they sure. built a great company. And, and through that, they have meaningful meaning and purpose. And they would, they would still be a zebra. Mm -hmm. But for your business, I don't think the reason why you're not doing well well if I drill into your numbers is because you suddenly are a company with this magnificent purpose. I think fundamentally, you're, you're in a declining market. You have too much churn. You have too much weightlifting to get these sales done. I'm just saying I don't fundamentally think you're structured properly to hit the purpose that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, you're right. I'm not the right investor for you, but I really like you and I like what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I didn't mean to paint a picture that it's either you're you're in it to make someone else a ton of money or you're in it because you have a heart and you're a conscious human. <laughs> like those are not mutually exclusive. Right. But I yeah. think fundamentally, I'm trying to zero in on I, how do you become a profitable, great business to do what you want to do? Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying, I'm not sure there's enough 
want, need, or desire for your product in a declining market and you, you're uphill selling and all the rest of it, a 30% churn is a very significant churn. In case it isn't clear, Michael's passing. Here's Sarah. I, I think I love your self-awareness. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm having the same problem that, that a lot of the other investors are having where I, I have a lens for, is this going to be a billion dollar company? And yeah. I have a lens for, is this going to be a nonprofit that I want to get involved with? And, I, and in I, between? I'm kind of like, I don't know. It's like unicorns and zebras. And then maybe the nonprofits are like the mini horses. And I know how to deal <laughs> with Shetland all ponies. of them, but the zebra, I don't, yeah. I don't really know because through the lens of, of, is this a billion dollar company? I just don't see the speed necessarily that, that you might be necessary to be a billion dollar business and I think you don't you don't have to be and I love that you own that and know that um, but but because of of all of those reasons it's a it's a pass for me yeah no problem thank you for letting me know Sarah is out here's Charles this one isn't quite right for me as an investment but I've done probably more news investing than everyone here <laughs> and so I've actually yeah. run into pockets of people who I think on the spectrum of mm-hmm. must make money must be a nonprofit they're open to things that are in the middle yeah and they're passionate about news and they're either independently wealthy or they believe that solving this problem is critical for other other businesses that they're investors in so I'd be happy to sort of plumb my notes and see if I can find a few people who I think given where you are could could be interested maybe not for the whole three and a half but for making some contribution fantastic yeah. great now this is really interesting because one of the biggest deficits in this country is actually location-based mm-hmm. reporting yes so what's happening is we're all getting these big swatches of news that have to do with national news but we're not really getting a better understanding and then therefore connecting to what's happening in our communities. And I think that's actually taking chunks out of our democracy. I 100% agree. I think local news, I mean, it's 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 having a tremendous crisis right now. Completely. And so they're, they're taking coverage from larger, you know, national news. Right. And it's degrading the quality of local pride, local understanding, local in, engagement. Absolutely. I come at it from a philanthropic, um, mm-hmm. you know, lens, and I definitely support this area. Um, but I do donate. Mm-hmm. I rather than invest, but that doesn't yeah. mean. But it's actually it's very much a passion of mine, and that's why I always I invest in this area because it creates transparency, and where there's transparency, it lifts every part of society. Um, I am not going to invest in this simply because I just. Um, think that I'm already invested enough in this area yeah. um, through my foundation. Um, and all of us need to be investing in some way in this, in our democracy. Excellent. Thank you. I yeah. really appreciate thank that. You. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for talking to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Real pleasure meeting you, Jane. Yeah. Bye. Pleasure meeting all of thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I should say the protection of democracy. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the valuation of democracy? Maybe someone can tell me that. Oh. <laughs> be like a five yeah, million three. Jen wasn't able to capitalize on her time in the room. As she heads out, I step in to hear what the investors have to say. I want to hand her millions of dollars no, because of do. what she's doing. By all means. I don't. But <laughs> no, no. But until she gets the pieces that she needs, which which you all pointed out. I don't see the business piece specifically yet. I don't see the pricing. I'm not I don't sure see the she government. knows if it's a business or I it's a passion. I agree. I agree. And I, I love her. I, I think agree. it's great, but I'm here to invest money and return on money. 
I mean, it starts there, I think. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a business. Um, and you don't think this was a true business? I, was, I think it was missing a lot of pieces. Yeah. That's the problem. And was well, the churn the business, indicator of that? A, or? As a business, it's a tough, mm -hmm. it's a, tough, that's a tough It's a tough business. I mean, they've got a yeah. lot of uh, But hold on, look, it, if they had that kind of revenue, had a very small churn rate, had good pickup and all the rest of it, I'd be like, this is a good business. Absolutely. And it's doing something social. This is great. Right. All the better. Right. 100%, but they don't have that. So they you have got a lot it, of you, you, you can't go live in the third floor of a house if the basement's cracked, right? I'm sorry, who said I, I like that. I might use it. Thank you, Jillian. You're welcome, You can have that one. So literally, I mean, you have a, a million-dollar ARR company, but because of the 30% churn, you walk well, out and say there's one business. It's yeah, it's that. all of it. Well, I knew we were kind of off when she said, well, I'm not sure you're the right kind of investor. I'm like, hmm. Like, what does that mean? Like, you need someone like who doesn't mind that. they lose their money. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I guess. I like that she do that. Yeah, what do you think she meant when she said... You're not the right investor. It means that you have to be able to. What I, I translated everything you're saying. Call me cynical, but I think she was saying. No, you, you? put so you put some money into my company. You're probably not going to get anything for it, but you're going to do the world a little bit of good. She didn't. She was. She that. wasn't clear. I mean, like I sure. spent a bunch of time on the deeper stuff. The, the model is more that like there ought to be a way for you to get a return on your money mm -hmm. that doesn't require a gigantic IPO. There are ways through the profitable operations of the business for me to return capital. It might be right, capped at a 3x, right, right. but there's a mechanism for you to get a return that doesn't require M&A or IPO. Right. I think in a world where you had like unlimited capital to do any idea that was good, longer conversation about this one, but like we all deal in a constrained environment where we can only do X number of companies per unit of time. And it wasn't, it wasn't above the line of like, was it a line that absolutely potentially an okay business above the line, for me at least. For the investors on our show, this pitch checked all the boxes of a good philanthropy and not enough of the boxes of a good business. But there are a lot of other investor fish in the sea. When we come back, Jen meets a fish 4,000 miles away. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. I called Jen up four months later for an update. And to start, I wanted to know more about this whole zebra concept. Jen told me where the idea came from. It started when she met a founder named Mara Cepeda at a conference in San Francisco. Mara and I, you know, met at this conference and we ended up just getting together to get a smoothie at one of those god, god like ungodly priced smoothie places in San Francisco, like $14 for, you know, 
six ounces of something. Um, and we just started joking about um, startups being like the male anatomy, you know, designed for liquidity events. Uh, and everything is, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's about like putting all your money and hoping that you fertilize one company that then gives you a return and like yields and becomes right. something big. I mean, and it's it's like all of the, you know, seed funding. And everyone's oh looking in your startup pitch deck for that quote unquote boner slide where you show the market <laughs> size of your opportunity. Uh-huh. I, I mean, we call it the boner slide because it's the one that's like up and to the right. And it's the angle of, you know, it's it's the thing that gets everyone excited. As Jen and Mata talked more about it, they realized there was room for a different kind of startup, the kind that doesn't need a boner slide to get the investors excited. This is where zebra startups come in. And instead of a unicorn, we, you know, jokingly were like, we need a different animal. So we came up with a zebra or a zebra if you're outside of the U.S. Um, and so we just started to create a chart, essentially saying what were the differences between these kinds of companies and the zebra as kind of a black and white animal, you know, for profit and for purpose. And also an animal whose competitive advantage is actually in cooperation. You know, the way zebras survive in the wild is by being with other zebras, not by <laughs> And by crushing. trampling, trampling <laughs> yeah, not, uh, not, anyone who tries to hunt them. Exactly. So what problem are zebra startups solving for? So, you know, you, you have your small businesses that are your mom and pop shops that are, you know, location based, brick and mortar, et cetera. Those are great. Those, you know, you can get bank loans and stuff if you have actual merchandise. If you're selling services and technology, it's really hard to find investors unless you're you're telling a story of extreme scale and extreme growth. But if you are starting, if you're trying to build a company and services that are solving a particular problem for a community um, that isn't necessarily about scale, first and foremost, it's in really, really hard to find investment. These people who are building these different kind of companies aren't looking to exit on the other side with millions of dollars and go buy an island. They're looking to solve a problem for their community, and they're looking to make a living at doing it, and not necessarily a quote-unquote like lifestyle company. They might have really big and ambitious dreams, but they're not in it to maximize shareholder value for a small group of investors and themselves. They're looking at it to fix a system, and there's no funding for that. You're saying... That like the traditional venture capital structures are optimized for profit for their shareholders, right? Yes. And there's a different type of company that like still needs money to grow, still needs investors, but they're optimized more for their mission. Exactly. Like, what does that mean in the day to day? Like, what are the implications <laughs> of running a business that's different? Well, it means you have to focus on revenue first and foremost, which means you can't just say, oh, we have this grand vision and once we reach 10,000 users or whatever, then we can turn on the money machine or we're going to be ad supported or, you know, it's it's not about quantity. It's really about quality. Can you create something quickly that people are willing to pay for and find value in? So it's really forcing founders to to have revenue be their chief driver rather than uh, user numbers. Right. Uh, so like Facebook, yeah. I'm like very early on was like, we're going to take on a bunch of cash to get as many users as we possibly can. And we'll figure mm -hmm. out how to monetize them later. Yes. And you're saying the opposite of like, we need to figure out how to be profitable from day one with like customer yep. one. Exactly. It sounds like Jen is looking for an investor with different expectations for the company, which helps make sense of a lot of what happened in her pitch, including this surprising moment. You basically told an investor that you didn't want his money. Why did you do that? 
<laughs> um, I think I was understanding that, you know, he's looking to go big and he's looking for the kinds of returns that a VC is looking for. I mean, I respect him. He invests for the reasons he invests, but it's not for us. So I, I guess I just wanted to cut to the chase and be yeah. like, you know, if we're on a speed dating date, it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that's fine. He should he should he should find people for whom he's a good fit and that's great. There was a um conversation after you left the room where they basically said, "We don't believe this is a good business." Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter to them whether it was a zebra business or a traditional startup unicorn. Mm-hmm. They just didn't like the business itself. Yeah. Yeah. I I understand. Like I think our business is atypical and it's hard to uh, to pattern match for things that you might have bet on before and that have, have worked out well for you. So I, I'm not surprised to hear them say that, mm-hmm. but I, I'm excited about the business we're building. And, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time for <laughs> a yeah. giant, uh, you know, institution of journalism to, to make that shift from being built for the machine age to being optimized for the information age. But we want to be there with them. Even though it's been hard for Jen to get that message across to investors, it certainly isn't for lack of effort. She says she spoke with precisely 54 investors, not that she's counting. Of these 54 investors, many of them just had their hands tied in different ways. I ended up just seeing that even though we solve for so many of the things that investors are looking to solve for, we kind of are a little bit too outside the box. And then, lo and behold, this Danish investor comes along who found us through reading a book in um, Danish that a uh, you know newsroom uh, luminary had written about the future of media, and Harkin was all over that book. I didn't know that because it was in Danish, oh, and I had wow. no idea we were in that book. And he was starting a fund. <laughs> he reached out to me. He made me a pitch deck and basically was trying to woo me to be part of his fund. And I wrote him back, and I said, thanks, but no thanks. Jen was fed up with VC at this point, so she just didn't think this investor was worth pursuing. But he was persistent. They kept talking, and it turned out that this guy, Morton Anderson, really seemed to be on the same page with Jen. So she flew over to Denmark to meet him. Producer Heather Rogers asked her about it. So the first time you guys met in person, can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I So the first time we met in person, I went to Copenhagen. He drove me around in his minivan throughout <laughs> Denmark, um, and we got to vet each other as humans and get to know each other personality-wise and do we want to go into business together. You know, so wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You rode around. He drove you around in his van? Yeah. He, what, what do you mean? Like, people don't go on road trips with their investors. Yeah. I think that rarely happens. Like, but it what? should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really about, hey, I'm a human. I'm trying to help media survive. You're a human. You're trying to help media survive. Let's figure out, is this a collaboration we want to have? So this investor, Morton, his like, his thesis is he wants to invest in media because it should exist. He doesn't necessarily want his money back. Oh, no, he wants his money back. Like, he's this isn't a philanthropy. Um, he just knows that it's a longer time horizon because there's so much shifting going on right now and there's so many changes afoot. And it's a complex, multivariate problem that cannot be solved through technology alone or cannot be solved through, you know, AI and bots and big data alone. It's going I to mean, be... I mean, you should, totally should have threw some of those things in your pitch. 
I know, right? In AI, blockchain. I'm sure that would have made all the difference. Do all the do all the buzzwords. Yeah. It's like our our AI, we joke, is actual intelligence. So we're working with the <laughs> seven million uh, years running technology of our brains um, and working with people to listen better <laughs> and serve people better. If only you could have spent an afternoon in a van with the investors. Oh, I know, right? We could have like really, we could have really had that soul connection that was like, let's do something bigger than make money. <laughs> Morton ended up investing 1.1 million in Harkin. Pretty nice chunk of change. Jen Zebra Company wasn't a fit for the investors on our show, but it turns out she just needed an investor of a slightly different stripe. Our show is hosted by me, Josh Muccio, produced by Heather Rogers, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Blythe Terrell. Theme music by The Musemaker, original compositions from Breakmaster Cylinder, Bobby Lord, and The Musemaker. We are mixed by Enoch Kim. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch. A special thanks to Jordan LaFaro of McClatchy Publishing for introducing us to Harkin. This is our disclaimer. No offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a new episode next Wednesday. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.